Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillah. Salatu vesselamu ala Resulina ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve men vela. Allahumma salli ve sellem ve zilu barik ala seyyidina Muhammed. Salatun tuncina biha min cemiyel ahvali vel afatu taqdilana biha cemiyel hacatu tutahiruna biha min cemiyel seyyat. Ve tarfa'una biha indaka ala darajatu tuballighuna biha aksan gayati min cemiyel khayrati fil hayati ve ba'dal mamat. Bismillah. So... I can't believe a week has already passed. SubhanAllah, it feels like we were just here. Um, and this this week has passed already, alhamdulillah. So, uh, welcome back. It's good to have you back. Those of you who have come back or those of you who are joining the first time, welcome. Um, so, we're going to, inshallah, continue where we left off in this reading from this lecture of Dr. Omar Farooq Abdullah Hafizahullah on called marriage social ideal and cosmic sign social ideal and cosmic sign and i believe we left off on this issue of good character so i don't know if i need to um send the link again um i can do that let me find it real quick Alright, there's the link And uh, we're on page 4 because of the skip So we we were on page 5 but now we're on page 4 Because of um, the moving of one of the sections before the other one So, uh, page 4, because good character So, قَالَ الْمُحَادِرُ حَفِيدَهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَ وَنَفْرَ اللَّهُ يَاهُ بِعُلُمِي فِي الدَّارِينَ Ameen Um because good character is essential to the success of marriage, the Qur'an enjoins husbands to socialize with their wives in the best, kindest, and most loving ways, and consort with them in a kind and honorable way according to good custom. Uh, keep their company, keep their company in a kind and noble, noble way, uh, in this verse means live with your wives in the best of the highest in, on the basis of the highest moral conduct the Arabic verb ashiru is reflective and reciprocal it means you live with them in a good way and they in turn will live with you in a similarly good way as a response to your beautiful comportment by such muashara uh, close association on friendly and intimate terms saying and doing beautiful things with each other marriage creates a true and exemplary community between husband and wife thus some great scholars say that this kindly association of husband and wife al-ishratun hasana is the purpose of marriage just as they say that sukun serene repose is the purpose of marriage since it is the product of such kindly association so this little section here is building on the one before it. The one before it had emphasized the importance of good character and um, was saying that the that marriage really is about good character. And, you know, doing what's right in a marriage is related to one's good character. And so then he 
um, continues and develops this point further, basing it off the verse 419, 419 that says, uh, That live with them in, uh, he translated as, keep their company in a kind and, or, or, as, and consort with them in a kind and honorable way according to good custom. So, has to do with ishra, being together. And uh, being with one another and interacting with one another, bil ma'roof, by that which is good. Um, and what's interesting about the word ma'roof is that it is uh, we usually translate it as doing what's good. So, you know, al amr bil ma'roof, commanding towards that which is good. But al ma'roof is ma'roof, and that's what's interesting about the word is that that which is good has a um, has an element of custom in it. So, yes, there is generally like things that are good to do in a relationship, and there are generally things that are bad to do in a relationship, right? Like there's there's certain walls on kind of like each side of the of of the interaction, but in the middle there are different ways of what that might look like, and that's important. Uh, one of the challenges sometimes that I think that we have in our community in particular is that, uh, and especially for people who are kind of like born and raised here, is that we actually are influenced by the cultures of our parents more than we think we are. So uh, I can say, for example, that when my wife and I got married, we weren't concerned at all that I was half Pakistani and half Canadian and that she was Afghan because we were under the impression that we were American. And because we were American, we're, we actually, our culture is the same. And even if our family's cultures were different, that's, that's not really an issue because we're American by culture. And although that's true, um, it's also at the same time, paradoxically, not true. <laughs> because... I am still the child of my parents and she is still the child of her parents and um, what she has customarily understood to be good in a relationship is is very much influenced by what she saw and what she's heard and what she's been exposed to in her family and greater family environment and what I customarily think to be good uh, in a relationship is greatly influenced by those same factors, but obviously they're different in my case um, So I, I think it's just important to recognize that and to recognize that there is uh, a Level of subjectivity in what is ma'roof There's it's not entirely subjective. It's not completely up for grabs. You can't like yell at your spouse and call them a hamar a donkey and then say well this is in our custom it's not really a big deal you know no that's that's a line that you've now crossed um, and certain things are going to be good irregardless you know um, but there is some level of uh, flexibility there nonetheless uh, the the point here is that we interact and live with our wives and our husbands according to the basis of the highest moral conduct and this is the real this is the real issue here and the ashiru the the verbal form as he kind of mentions here the verbal form is such that it it indicates that a person um that there's a what's the word he uses reflexivity it's reflexive and reciprocal 
So it's not only going one way, but it's also going the other way. And it's it's and at the same time, when it comes from one side, it will usually come from the other side as well, um, assuming the absence of some sort of extreme case. But usually, when we you know they say in khair yajlibun khair wa shar yajlibun shar, that good pulls and, and attracts good, and bad pulls and attracts bad. Um, again, there are sometimes extreme cases, but under let's just say like an average case. When you, even sometimes you might notice that in a relationship, right? Like uh, someone's upset, but the other person just refuses to uh, to give in to that, and they they continue to be good to them and good to them to good good to them, and then um, it will it has a disarming effect, right? It has a disarming effect, and uh, so this is um, important. This is important by such muashara. Uh, saying and doing beautiful things with you, with each other, marriage creates a true and exemplary community between husband and wife, and that's why some of the ulama they said that this ishratun hasana, this um, uh, kindly association, is one of the objectives of marriage. There's there's not like um, there's a level of ijtihad in that, a level of uh, discussion and and reflection and personal opinion in that like what what will we say is a objective of marriage we can say that sukun is one of the objectives because of the verse and you could say that this is one of the objectives because of the other verse and so on but nonetheless these are things that we are seeking to have in a relationship between uh, a husband and wife there's a question in the chat box about recordings. The recordings of the sessions are, the audio recordings are on SoundCloud. They'll be up, the previous ones are up, and the future ones will be loaded, uh, uploaded as soon as we can. And then the SoundCloud automatically uh, syncs with uh, iTunes podcasts. So all of the classes that I teach at the Majlis are on those two platforms. You could find either of them. Uh, whichever one you prefer, um, this and previous ones as well. So that's again this issue of um, of dealing with each other in in a, in a beautiful and good way. Again, this is really the ultimate training ground. It's the ultimate training ground for so much in life because, um, I mean. It, it, I guess just by way of repetition. One of the major issues of our religion is good character. Um, good character is one of the major fruits of the religion of Islam. To the extent that the, some of the early Muslims, they used to say that tasawwuf is adab. That the spiritual path is a path of good manners and character. And whoever is better than you in that adab and good character and manners, then they're better than you in spirituality. And Ibn Qayyim, uh, or Ibn Qayyim and Jawziyyah, he said, Rahimahullah, that rather the entirety of the religion is adab. The entirety of the religion is adab, in manners and character. And the one who's better than you in manners and character, then they're better than you in the religion itself. And so, where is the major training ground for good character? Is in our families. And alternatively, uh, one of the major challenges can be that if we are raised in an environment of bad character and bad manners and so on and so forth, learning to overcome uh, those things that 
um, that we experience can very much be a part of that journey as well, right? But in any case, this, this relationship of husband and wife is one that is supposed to foster that and one where we are supposed to be able to work on that to the best of our abilities. Uh, and if we're able to do so, then that's, that's the seed of beautiful and, and beloved community that is there in, in the family relationship. So now if we go to page 5, he continues, Hafidhullah. Um, and he goes to another one of the verses. That's one of the major verses on the topic of marriage, which is the verse about... Um, um, about clothing, they're like a garment to you. Uh, they are a garment to you, and you are a garment to them. Uh, so he says, Hafidhullah, the Quran speaks with inimitable beauty about the isma, sanctity, and protection inherent in the sunnah of marriage. God says about wives and husbands, they are a garment for you, and you are a garment for them. Our wives are meant to be as close to us inwardly and to clothe us as beautifully outwardly as the clothing we wear, protecting us from dishonor as well as heat and cold. We, in turn, the husbands, are meant to be as close to them and to clothe them as beautifully as the attractive garments they wear, protecting them from dishonor as well as heat and cold. This verse means that husband and wife are meant to create between themselves a total and perfect union, just like the closeness to our bodies, uh, to the inner and outer or of our bodies, to the inner and outer clothing we wear. Can we imagine ourselves having any dignity without our clothing? Can we imagine ourselves as truly beautiful without the dress we wear? Beautiful clothing fuses with the body and our very being like a single entity. And what we wear gives us dignity, beauty, and majesty. This is how the wife and husband are meant to be with each other. They must take each other. They must make each other happy. They must give each other dignity. They must protect each other intimately, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. They are like a peaceful and protecting home that offers a beautiful repose to its inhabitants. We are meant to feel comfortable in the presence of our spouses, just as we are happy when we are at home and we are meant to miss them in their absence and look forward to being with them again just as we yearn to return home after being away so this is a, mashallah very very beautiful all right very very beautiful um, so let's look at it piece by piece the the quran then emphasizes this the beauty and the sanctity and the protection of the relationship of marriage by using the metaphor of clothing. You are a garment to them and they are a garment to you. And that um, there is an inward aspect to that clothing verb um, and there is an outward aspect to it, right? So the inward aspect of our clothing is that it covers us and it keeps us warm or it protects us from the heat uh, or it may protect us from the elements at some sort of level right like if it's raining and we have a raincoat on that that rain will cause or that coat will cause the rain to hit our coat and, and wash away or the hat that protects us from the beating down of the sun and all of these are really um, beautiful and profound metaphors right like 
sometimes the 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 rain of life is going to pound down upon our he- uh, upon us and ideally it is our husband or our wife who are the protection that we have in the face of that downpour or sometimes the rays of the sun are going to beat down firmly onto our uh, onto us and and really um, heat us up in that way and they are the ones that are going to help us in that regard so this is all uh, these are all metaphors as well related to the clothing it's a very multifaceted metaphor but inwardly it clothes uh, it covers us and outwardly it covers us and clothing one of the things that dr omar has said in other occasions and he kind of hints at here is that um, clothing is not just an issue of style clothing is also an issue of honor and majesty and beauty and um you know, it's really interesting to kind of look at some of the styles that people traditionally wore in the Muslim lands. Um, you know, people, they used to wear things that were very elegant, that were very beautiful. Um, that definitely had some style to them, but they also had some honor to them, some majesty to them. And uh, one of the things that Dr. Omar has said in other places is that one of the one of the characteristics of the clothing of the believer is that it is something that um, that that one of the key aspects of the personality of the believer and the lifestyle of the believer is their prayer, and that the clothing of the believer is such that when they stand to pray, they will be able to pray in a way that is dignified and beautiful. So part of what that usually meant historically was that clothing was long and loose. Usually meant that clothing was long and loose. And this is for men and women, by the way. It wasn't just like a women thing. But for men and for women, generally clothing was long and it was loose. And um, it was functional, but it was also beautiful. Um, so in any case, these are the, uh, the clothing, he says, is a means by which... Uh, it gives us dignity, it gives us beauty, it gives us majesty. And these are things that our spouses are supposed to do as well. That they bring out the best in us, they protect harm from coming to us, they make us even more beautiful than we already are. Um, which is not to say that we're not, but they, they make us even more beautiful. They um, really accent who we are. And also, they cover those things that need to be covered. And this, I think, is something that is often lost among people, um, which is that one's relationship with their spouse is the business of them and their spouse. It's not the business of their mother. It's not the business of their aunt and their uncle. It's not the business of their in-laws. It's not the business of their best friends. It's definitely not the business of Facebook and Instagram. Um, it is their business. Yeah, you can choose to share some things. That's up to you. You make your own decisions. But the one that really becomes, um, that you see oftentimes having a lot of consequence is especially when in-laws and parents are involved in like everything that has to do with the relationship. Obviously, they're around to, to give advice and to help and to support and stuff like that. But the one that you see particularly is when whenever is specifically when people have an issue and then they immediately when they have an argument or they have a disagreement or whatever it might be and this is again excluding extreme situations 
But say you just, you know, you had like a regular fight. You got in an argument, you got in a fight, you had a difference of opinion, it got heated a little bit, and it didn't get too crazy. You know, regular marriage stuff. And then, uh, and then the first thing you do is you go tell your best friend. The first thing you do is go tell your spouse or your parents or whatever it might be. Those things are hard to overcome. Um, and even there's a story about uh, one of those, th- that happening one time and the, the parent saying to the child, um, you know, when you have these situations, if you don't need me to be involved, please don't tell me about them. Because you guys will get into an argument today and you'll tell me about it. And tomorrow you'll forgive your spouse, but I won't because I'm your parent. So now there's like something that's there in the relationship that didn't need to be there. Um, of course, if there's an issue, if there's an issue and reconciliation is needed and counseling is needed and, and good advice is needed and so on and so forth, there's no harm in that. And, and going to people who are people of sound and good advice, if your parents or your in-laws are of that category, then alhamdulillah. If they're not, then share it with someone else. There's no, there's absolutely no issue in getting help when help is needed. But, um, but this habit of like venting all the time, I mean, it's kind of like um, to use the metaphor of the shirt. It's like as if you're walking around just like lifting up your shirt all the time, sh- exposing yourself. Your back is showing your your whatever is things are like being exposed that shouldn't really be exposed because those are supposed to be between you um so this this metaphor is a really really important metaphor uh and a very beautiful one and so he says then he says they must protect each other intimately emotionally psychologically and spiritually uh, I recognize that when we talk about these things, oftentimes people will look at it and be like, well, that's not reality, or this case is not this way or that way, or whatever. Um, we're not here talking about like the details of every single situation. We're here talking about what things are supposed to be like. And at least, even if, um, e- even if our realities might reflect some level of discrepancy with that ideal, it's uh, still important to lift up the ideal and make it known that this is, this is actually what we are striving for. And this is what this is why Allah created this relationship. It's very important because sometimes we get into this rut of like, you know, every relationship is just going to be bad and every, every man has all of these qualities and the woman just has to be patient with it and every woman has these qualities and everyone, every man just has to be patient with it and women and men don't really get along they just like tolerate each other so they can have kids and the human species can continue and like whatever you know and that's not that might be actually like in some cultures in some places what the relationship has come down to but that's not the way that it's supposed to be and that's not what Allah talks about marriage being in the Quran, nor is it in any way what the relationship of the Prophet was with his wives. Uh, it definitely was not that way. They they were um, there were deep and intimate relationships of love, of mercy, of sakina, and of supporting one another. Again, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, um, we are supposed to long for the company of our spouses when we're away from them just like we long to be back in our homes uh, when we're away from home you know that's that's the way that it's supposed to be and if it's not that way you know some cases can be rectified and um but you know a lot of things in in life can actually be rectified with good intention and some patience and catching them in time 
sometimes you know too much water is under the bridge and it's hard to believe again but um, but assuming that's not the case we can always work to, to do better and better inshallah okay so we continue um, it's going to get a little bit adult for this section so I'm just warning you now uh, of course Dr. Omar is um, a very respectable person so his, his language choice is uh, um, very appropriate but I'm, I'm just giving you a heads up the image of husbands and wives as garments for each other is a discreet yet powerful isti'ara metaphor or figurative borrowing for the strongest and most fulfilling kind of union imaginable between male and female in the physical, psychological, and spiritual intimacy of marriage. In Arabic, when we say one thing covered another like a garment, we mean that they both became so closely and tightly connected that they appear as a single thing. Uh, so this is now hinting at not only the emotional and spiritual relationship of the husband and wife, but also the physical one. That the physical act of intimacy uh, between the husband and wife is not only an act of physical intimacy, but it's an act of spiritual and emotional intimacy as well. Um, the historical context for this verse was in conjunction with the new prophetic legislation instituting the fast of Ramadan, in conjunction with the doubts the believers had at the beginning if they were allowed intimacy with their wives during the nights of the fast. The verse not only allows conjugal relations, its beautiful metaphor emphasizes the mutual needs of both husbands and wives for such intimacy with each other. So, um, basically... There are stages in the uh, revelation of Ramadan, or like the the legislation, I should say, of Ramadan. That part of the legislation at some point of Ramadan was that, um, like, once you, you whatever eating or relationships you're going to have and stuff like that, you have to do it before you sleep. And then there was like an incident with a companion who came home from work and he fell asleep, and then. You know, and the question started to arise, like, okay, are we allowed to have relations with our spouses during the night or not, after we wake up, before Fajr or not, and so on and so forth. And so this verse was clarifying that um, and saying that... Um, uh, uh, وَحِلَّ لَكُمْ لَيْلَةُ الصِّيَامُ الرَّفَتُ إِلَى نِسَائِكُمْ it's where it falls you know it says that your your spouses are made permissible to you during the night after fasting and um, they are a garment for you and you are a garment for them or that you are a garment for them and they are a garment for you uh, so this is he's getting at the context and this indicates that there is a need from both sides for that relationship and I think this is important also to just kind of note without getting into too much detail, but that the physical relationship of marriage is a right of both the man and the woman in the marriage. This is not just like an issue of the man, um, you know, and his needs, but it is also an issue of the woman and her needs, and there's no sort of uh, aib in that. There's no sort of taboo in that. 
um, there's a taboo in talking about it publicly and like expressing those kind of things in front of people and posting it online and stuff like that. But there's no taboo in the in the concept of it existing, uh, of of the uh, and and within the marital relationship that being a reality. Okay. Um, just as they must eat and drink after breaking fast, both of them must also be allowed amorous contact with each other. But even more than that, the metaphor emphasizes that such marital contact should be an ideal expression of true love, so that in the privacy of the marital act, they become like two beautiful garments covering each other. So this is not just like a, um, a purely physical act that has no sort of uh, emotion or spirit to it, uh, but rather it is, an, it is an act of true love and is an act of two beautiful garments covering each other. Okay. 652. Let me see what we have left. God created the world in pairs. Each pair complements the other and is a sign of God's oneness, self-sufficiency, and all-sufficiency in creation. In isolation and taking together, the pairs show us that all created things rely upon each other, and ultimately they are all unconditionally dependent on God alone. Night balances out the day, the dry season offsets the rainy season, winter counterbalances summer, sleep renews us after wakefulness, toil and trouble, our right sides parallel our left sides in perfect symmetry and work in harmony with them. And the female and male go to go perfectly together. At the level of marriage, the husband is meant to suit the wife, while the wife is just as suited for the husband. Together, they make possible biological generation, children, the family, and civilized existence. This is why marriage is one of the cosmic signs of God's oneness, and among His signs is that He created mates from you, for you from among yourselves, so that you might find rest in them. And he bestowed affection and mercy upon you, truly in that there are signs for people who reflect. 3021, which has come up before. But even on the broader social scale, beyond the institution of marriage, healthy and respectful relations between men and women are essential to a dynamic society and vibrant culture. Thus the Prophet ﷺ affirmed the full humanness of both genders, the male and the female. He said, women are nothing less than the full sisters of men. Shaqa'iq al-Rijal, meaning they are counterparts of one another. They are two pieces that fit together, one not being superior over the other, but each complementing the other. This, I think, is a very important point that he's making here, that as, as we've seen leading up to this, that the relationship of marriage is one of um, of complementing one another, of love, of tranquility, of peace, of mercy, of uh, growth, of good conduct and character, and so on. Uh, but it's not only in the relationship of marriage that this must be manifested. That the relationship of marriage is the pinnacle of the relationship between male and female, but the relationships of males and females to one another in general remains of utmost importance. And um, this really is uh, extremely, extremely important. 
and it's it's uh, increase. It seems like it's it's rare to find situations where this really manifests itself in the way that it should. Um, I don't know about the title of the topic, but my uh, of the articles. But my wife had written one or two articles on this. Um, in retrospect, I'm not so sure about the title, but in any case, uh, it's called Co-ed Love for the Sake of Allah on Virtual Mosque. So she wrote on that article, like, what are some of the foundations for that relationship to actually be sound? For me to have a relationship with my sister, for my sister to have a relationship with her brother in, in faith who are not related, um, to, for them to have a reasonable and sound relationship that was within the guidelines of the Sharia and shows really what um, can happen in, 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 in like an appropriate way. And of course the four P's are a big part of that that we talked about before, the four P's of purpose, professionalism, public space and person public and personal space. And these kind of like guidelines of the interaction are what make it possible. So when people say like, can girls and boys be friends with each other? Um, you know, I think a lot is kind of lost in definitions and words. So like what I'm, what one person might mean when they say friend might be something different than what someone else means when they say friend. Uh, can there be a respectful relationship between a man and a woman who are not related to one another that is for the sake of good and within uh, boundaries of what is acceptable, yes, there can be. Um, but there are conditions for that. And amongst them is taqwa, amongst them is an appreciation of the guidelines of the sharia in the interrelationship, in the relationship. And when those things are there, then it can be, then it can be done uh, in a way that is appropriate and good. And if they are not, then it is likely that things will um, slide and slip as they go along. But that relationship between men and women uh, is a foundation for a successful society. That if men and women don't know how to interact with each other in a way that is honorable and decent and respectful, uh, then you will have the entirety of, of society falling apart. And I think that this is, at least in our present time, a huge problem in American culture. At least from what I can remember before I became a Muslim, this was a huge problem in American culture. I'm not really in those kind of spaces and conversations uh, in the way that I used to be, also because like my work is in the Muslim community, so I'm not exposed maybe to some of the things that other people are exposed to. But it seems to me like a lot of interactions are full of disrespect, and um, at least if not said, it is the, the intention or the feelings that are motivating the rela the relationship or the interactions are ones that we would consider to be disrespectful um, and not appropriate and so on and so forth so but but nonetheless that is something that must be figured out and the society of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was not a society where men and women never interacted with each other it was a society where men and women interacted with each other and where they dealt with each other and they had relationships and they had conversations and they knew their limits and they knew what was acceptable and they knew what wasn't acceptable and sometimes they crossed those limits right i mean like the society of the prophet size and them wasn't like some utopian society where nobody ever committed a sin sometimes those limits were crossed but they were understood in terms of what is our 
interaction going to look like? And I think that for us as a community, this is one of the most fundamental issues. This is one of the most fundamental issues for Islam in America is how are we going to navigate this? Because if we can't build community spaces where men and women can interact with each other with a mutual understanding of what is acceptable and uh, reasonable and so on, and what the limits on that are, then we cannot have community in any sort of serious way. And people are not going to be able to get married because it's hard enough to it's hard to get married as it is. And if you don't have a community space where people can interact with each other, it's not going to happen. And uh, we're going to have big problems if we can't figure these things out. Um, and it's not that like it's that everyone has it wrong necessarily. Like sometimes some cultures might be more strict on these things. Some cultures might be more lax on these things. What's important is that there's a mutual understanding of how things should be. Um, and our centers, be oftentimes because of the combination of the diversity of cultural experiences as well as the absence of any sort of authority, uh, these things are just really confusing. Nobody really knows what to do. And this was a big issue that I dealt with when I was in, in, in the masjid as an imam. And it was a big problem because like some people, some women, for example, if I would say salam to them and ask them how they're doing, it was inappropriate. And some women, if I didn't say salam to them and ask them how they're doing, then they were offended. So now you're like, what, what exactly do you do, you know? And uh, so over time, you have to kind of like develop some sort of mutual understanding with the people. But this is like, how do you do that on a community level? It takes some consistency. It takes some authority. Um, and but, but those are really, really important things to work through. Ideally, the Muslims can do this. And again, in, this, in, the, in the community of the Prophet ﷺ, they had figured that out at some level. Uh, it wasn't that these people didn't know each other. Even there's an interesting narration of um, the wife of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud going to the house of the Prophet ﷺ to ask him a question. And Abdullah tells her when she goes you know like basically if you can manage to not tell him who's asking the question because like i think it was about her giving sadaqah to him like giving charity to him because he was so poor and like she had some money can she give her charity to him um so he said like basically if you can get around and not saying who the question is from try to get around that right so she goes and she goes to the house of the prophet and she's going to ask this question and Bilal radiallahu an is the one who greets her and takes the question and then like takes it in to the Prophet them to pose him the question and then he's gonna take the answer out. It wasn't always that like they got a direct meeting. But like sometimes it, you know, the Prophet's doing his thing in his house, there's someone who's like watching the door and they might field issues as they come and when they need to ask the Prophet, they'll ask the Prophet. So they um, Bilal takes the question and he goes into the Prophet and he tells him this is the question and the Prophet says who now up to this point keep in mind that she didn't say who she is okay she didn't say who she is when she comes to the narration doesn't have that in it so Bilal he t poses the question to the Prophet and the Prophet asked Bilal he said who is the one who asked the question so Bilal answers 
Because he knows. He knows who's who. It's not like he doesn't know who's who. That's my point. Sometimes we have this understanding in our community as like, you know, you can never know who somebody's wife is or who somebody's child is. Or this is like the most dishonorable thing that could ever happen is that someone knows that this is my wife or whatever. Um, and there are some cultural components to that. But we're in America. That's not a cultural issue here. Um, that's and, and the Sharia doesn't give you like a steadfast rule on it. But in any case, uh, he says, which he says, who was it? So Bilal says it was Zainab. So the Prophet Sallallahu response, which is interesting, he says, which Zainab? <laughs> like we're a community. There's there's many Zainabs in our community. So which Zainab is it? And Bilal says it's Zainab, the wife of so and so, Abdullah bin Masood. I believe it was Abdullah bin Masood, but. Don't quote me on the exact wording of it. So he says, okay, tell her that it's actually acceptable for her to give her charity to her husband because he's he actually is like really poor and he knows it. Like he knows his community, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he's able to give that answer. And they and Bilal knows, like, okay, there's multiple Zainabs and the Prophet Sallallahu knows there's multiple Zainabs and who's who and which relationship is which and all this kind of stuff. Like they know who who's who, is my point. And that's part of like having a community where men and women know how to interact with each other and what's acceptable and what's not and what the limits are on that and everything else right and that's very very important uh, likewise in the quran god establishes the full humanness and compatibility of both genders and their complete parity in a sound islamic society god says the believing men and the believing women are guardians of one another enjoining right and forbidding wrong performing the prayer, giving the alms, and obeying God and His Messenger. It is such people as these upon whom God will surely have mercy. Truly God is Almighty, All-Wise. Surah At-Tawbah, chapter 9, verse 71. Very, very important verse. It's a very, very important verse. Um, that the believing men and women are guardians of one another. They are guardians of one another. Um, and they are meant to be the awliya of each other. They got it, They have each other's back. They're not betraying one another. They're not disrespecting one another. They're not dishonoring one another. They're not screaming at each other. They're not this, 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 this. And, um, you know, but they are doing what's best and in the best interest of one another. This is my brother. This is my sister. I'm going to support them. They enjoin the good. They forbid the evil. They perform prayer. They give their charity. They obey God and His Messenger. This is a community of believers on both sides. And Allah will have mercy on those people. Okay, this is good. Someone sent a, a question. I'll get to that, inshallah, at the end. Uh, again, if you have questions, you can send them in the chat list and we'll, we'll get to them, inshallah. Um, and it's good for me to see them. That way I know how much time to allot for them, inshallah. So that's a great question that was put there. This late Medinese verse is one of the great principal and foundational texts of Islam. It declares the mutual guardianship, walaya of believing men and believing women as one of the central principles underlying the strength and success of the Ummah in this world and the next. 
This mutual guardianship of men and women is the mark of truthfulness and sincerity between Muslim men and women. Um, and it is a standing proof of their true belief in God. They must both work together for what is good and righteous as friends, allies, counselors, mutual protectors, and guardians. The social standing of a Muslim woman, therefore, is not based on the fact that she is some man's wife, daughter, marital, or kinship relation, or tribal member. Rather, her social standing is based on her mutual devotion to God and His Prophet, and her individual commitment to the rights of worship, obligations, and general duties of Islam. So you don't, a woman need not be only defined in, as in regards to some sort of relationship to a man. But the ultimate definition of anyone, male or female, is in relation to their relationship with God. As a servant of God, as a worshiper of God, and that is the primary um, interaction. Rather, her social standing, I already said that. This walaya, based on faith and good deeds, places the believing men and the believing women upon the same plane of social and spiritual obligations and gives both of them independent moral authority. Neither gender shall be abjectly subservient to the other as if they lacked sound understanding and insight of their own. So no, this isn't like the one gender is serving the other. Both of them have capacity. Both of them have intellect. Both of them have the ability to worship God. Both of them have the ability to think, to process, to engage, to have uh, opinions and insights of their, owns, of their own. And this is a foundational principle of the society and community of the believers, that the men and the women of that community are to support one another, are to um, be there for one another. And um, it's extremely important. Yes, we have adab. Yes, we have limitations, we have guidelines, we have to have honesty with ourselves about how we feel and our internal feelings and so on and so forth. But there is still a way that that can happen. And um, now may Allah help us. Uh, and this is not, you know, I think that sometimes, um, let me just say that different cultures have different approaches to this. Um, even within like the Arabs you might have different types di Arab, various Arab communities that have different approaches Afghans have an approach so and so have an approach so everything else um, yeah and um, it's not necessarily that one approach is better than the other but uh, in the context of what I'm saying right now not the question that just came up but there are cultures that might be more applicable to our our uh, uh, like the culture that we're in in America, right? And part of 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 the continuity of Islam in this land is that the culture of Islam in this land must be a culture that does not contradict the culture of this land, wherein that is possible. Um, and that's going to take some time and some negotiation and some tension, some pushing and pulling and so on. 
there's not enough really to continue next time so I need to finish this time so I'm going to continue if the believing men and believing women honor this joint wilaya based on faith and good deeds and if they stand by each other in giving mutual assistance and counsel as this verse authorizes then God will certainly guarantee them lasting success in this world and the next they must make Islam and Iman the strong soldier Lahma that joins and holds them together. It is their mutual commitment to God as believers that brings God's help to them and their society as long as they honor this bond. In this great endeavor, God emphatically guarantees them success. The letter seen at the end of the verse, Sayyarhamuhumullah, God will surely have mercy upon them, underscores this promise and makes it absolutely certain. Semantically, the presence of the letter seen means that we as believers will unequivocally win the pleasure of God by putting this mutual walaya of male and female into practice. As a reward, he will surely give us success in this world and the next. For as the verse states in, clo in closing, truly God is almighty, all wise. Thus, his is the absolute power and perfect wisdom that can easily accomplish this amazing feat, as difficult or impossible as that would be for us on our own. Which is a really, this is a remarkable um, paragraph. Because basically what he's getting at here is that if we can figure out how to have an appropriate and correct relationship between men and women on a societal level, that will gain us the mercy of God in this life and the next. That's the guarantee that's in the verse. And so that's a really, really important thing, right? In closing, we ask God for beneficial knowledge and that we sincerely put into practice what we learn. We ask Him to bless our marriages and give us the truthfulness and sincerity of the mutual walaya of all believers, men and women, respecting each other and working together. Amin. May God empower us and give us the wisdom to live Islam in a way that pleases Him eternally and gives us and our societies lasting success and happiness. Amin. That's the end of it. Let me move to the questions that are here. Um... Look at this hadith first real quick. Hmm. Yeah, this is one variation of it, but it has part of what uh, was mentioned, so. Okay, so let me go to this first question. Thanks for the helpful info. While you're on the marriage search topic, I'd like to ask about the basic understanding of practically seeking someone Muslim for marriage. This is not about the religious sources and not about the marriage contract, but just the process. How can or how should the research, how should the search for someone Muslim for marriage in the U.S. occur? I've asked the same question to Christian leaders and got very clear, quick, and simple to understand answers. Yet no one, not one imam has answered this question well. Um, there is serious Muslim marriage crisis. Many Muslims are not getting married, plus high divorce rate, as you acknowledge. As a follow-up, if, if you answer to my prior question, is the process to find someone compatible for marriage in the U.S. is through community or through family or friends or the like, then my follow-up question is, for a convert, revert, revert or, some, uh, or suppose there is someone without any family who is a Muslim, then how can or should the search for someone Muslim for marriage in the U.S. occur? So, first and foremost, um, 
this comments here about uh, and this is not about the person I don't even it's an initial so I don't even you know I'm not trying to make it about the person this statement about not one imam has answered this question well uh, I I noticed that like in our community we tend to use this language a lot uh, nobody's talking about this issue we've never heard this before uh, not a single person has addressed this you know I think we should be careful of not only that language, but that cognitive pattern. Um, it's just it's 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 um, it's just a far-reaching uh, thing when you say like no one has done this. That would indicate that you've surveyed everyone. Maybe you have. Maybe the person in the question has. I don't know. Um, but my point is just outside of this issue, this question itself, we should just be, I think, try to be conscious of that thought pattern. Uh, now to get to the actual question. So in my opinion, um, the most primary way that this happens is through someone's engagement with a community, whether that's a functioning masjid community, whether that's a college campus community, whether that's some sort of other community space, whatever it might be, but it's some sort of Muslim community space. Um, now, granted that that's not always super feasible, we get to the second issue. So what's the second layer? Second layer oftentimes is through families and friends and stuff like that. It is true, there is a major crisis. And part of that crisis is because of the two things that I've just mentioned are two things that we uh, don't really do so well in. So it's not always the case that people have some sort of functioning community life. And it's not always the case that people have some sort of functioning family life that enables them to be able to use those resources um, to be exposed to other people. And I think that that's part of just kind of like the reality of America in general uh, that's that's you know there's that's a long-standing issue in sociology this issue of the collapse of community in American society and why and so on and so forth um, but that's that's an issue in America in general and it's a, definitely an issue in the Muslim community so there's also things like these online platforms and so on and so forth um, you know these I think would be like your your actual community life, like I'm engaged in something meaningful and I meet people through that that existence that I might be willing to consider for marriage. Um, then the second layer is maybe like friends or family make a connection. And then the third is these platforms that exist. Um, and, you know, there's an issue. Uh, but I think that the issue is very difficult to resolve without serious community. Um, <coughs> suppose a person is a convert or a revert, then, you know, they might not have family, but they could use those other platforms. They could use a platform of community. They, should, they can use a platform of um, friends. Or they could use one of these, like, online Muslim match things, assuming they're using them in a decent and respectable way. And uh, it's not, obviously it's not easy. Like I'm not making this out to be some sort of like cakewalk. It's, it's not easy. But, uh, you know, 
all we can do is continue to try to build community and to build solutions for it. And, uh, you know, may Allah give us tawfiq. What happens that if the urfs of two people conflict, the customs of two people conflict, which urf custom takes precedence? And how is this decided? I ask this because from my observation, some urfs are de facto deemed more legitimate or Islamic than others. Uh, that's true. I mean, I think that I, I should. That's true is not really a clear statement because there are multiple things that were said there. It's true that uh, in practice, it seems that some cultures are deemed to be more quote unquote religious than others. And that's not necessarily correct. I think that the first step in, in this regard is to acknowledge when there is a difference of culture and to acknowledge from the beginning how is it that we are going to um, when we have conflicts of understanding like this how is it that we are going to navigate them um, and preferably something more specific than we're going to go to the Quran and the Sunnah because that was what my wife and I had discussed when we were getting married it was like okay if we have a conflict we're going to go to the Quran and the Sunnah and that's going to resolve our conflict and then we studied the Quran and the Sunnah and we realized that there's a lot of opinions and uh, sometimes those th sometimes how we understand the Quran and the Sunnah on a given issue is actually impacted by culture. And um, so, you know, I think that in a relationship, most everything in the end is... is uh, <coughs> is navigated through mutual conversation and discussion and not just like insofar as it's possible not putting up walls where there don't need to be walls um, okay let's discuss let's talk about it let's see and if we can't come to some sort of agreement amongst ourselves let's try to who else can we talk to to try to get a better perspective on this and hopefully that person will help rather than hurt um, uh, some things some things by culture are are actually more quote-unquote Islamic um, some things are not like you know colors that are acceptable um, there's an interesting thing my wife taught me about like um, for example like a lot of Arabs who separate when you visit like if the men are together and the women are together the men won't speak to the women at all like the woman of the house or whatever but in her experience with Afghan culture is that even though they'll separate if the male guest doesn't specifically thank the female host for like the food and praise the food and stuff like that then it's considered extremely disrespectful so now you have two <laughs> different things they're not it's not that like is there a clear ruling on the Sharia, like which one is more correct or something? No, but we need to come to some sort of understanding of which one we're going to go with. Otherwise, you're going to have a problem, right? Um, so these are things that need to be discussed and worked through. <coughs> uh, there's a good question here. Oh my God, there's a lot of questions coming in.
I have a question in regards to interacting with the opposite gender. I know you mentioned we can with certain boundaries. Growing up, I was under the impression that it was haram, so I refrained as much as possible from interacting with opposite gender. As an adult, I find myself struggling in mixed gatherings of men and women. Do you have any advice on how to how I can overcome that? Um, you know, to be fair, like I understand why sometimes people are very strict on this issue, especially when people are younger. Because, like, as you get older, you have more restraint, you have more self-control, you have more introspection, you have more of an understanding of who you are and who other people are, and so you're able to navigate boundaries more successfully. Um, when people are younger, they don't always have, like, that level of introspection and restraint and so on and so forth, and so it can be kind of be difficult for them to engage appropriately. Nonetheless, uh, this is one of the consequences of not figuring that thing out, is that uh, later on it's, it's going to become difficult. And um, well, I, But it's hard to answer this question because a lot of these things are situational. You know, like there are certain mixed gatherings that we should be uncomfortable in because they're kind of like borderline or they're definitely not okay. Uh, and then there's other mixed gatherings that like, you know, it's probably okay and safe. But uh, if we're not accustomed to interacting with the opposite gender, it's not a bad thing to err on the side of safety. Because there's a lot of subtleties of interactions that maybe we don't really understand. Um, and it's going to take some experience and some time to start to understand those things. So if we're a little bit cautious and err on the side of safety and stuff like that, that's that's okay. But you know, be around people that you trust and know what your know what your absolute limits that you're not going to cross are. Um, listen to yourself. If you feel uncomfortable, then you, know, you don't have to force yourself to do something that you feel uncomfortable in. That's like if someone has a level of discomfort or a level of shyness or whatever it might be that they're uncomfortable in mixed gatherings. There's nothing wrong with that. The Prophet ﷺ encouraged us to have modesty and shyness. And actually there's a narration where one person was blaming another one for his shyness and modesty. And the Prophet ﷺ told him, Don't uh, Don't give this person a hard time because of their shyness and their modesty because that's part of the religion. You know, so like these are we shouldn't force ourselves into the other extreme either. Um, and try to work through it over time. What is your advice on the challenge of bringing up a potential to your family when they are a dith different ethnicity? Um, we're going to end up like having to have a whole question and answer session next time, maybe. <laughs> maybe we should do that because um, I know there's a lot of questions on these kind of things. And Anyways, uh, what is your advice on the challenge of bringing up a potential to your family when they are a different ethnicity? I think that that's uh, a battle that we should try to fight early on, even before there's a potential. So if I know that my family has this difficulty with other ethnicities, then that's something that I should be actively engaging with over time, even if I don't have anyone in mind. And even if I might end up, not I, but even if Fulan might end up marrying someone of the same ethnicity, they should still fight that battle because it shouldn't be there in the first place. Um, but at the same time, we should listen to our parents too because sometimes what they're expressing is real. Like, maybe they're expressing that they want to be, they, they won't really feel like they can be close with 
that person if they're not the same ethnicity and there is some truth to this like there are difficulties in engaging cross language and cross ethnicity there are so um, we have to acknowledge that there's some there can be some truth to that and that our parents you know we should like not neglect their feelings too but at the same time try to work towards some sort of mutual understanding on it um, and then as I've said before like if you have someone in mind you have like don't get their hopes up and don't go down that relationship with them and build feelings and emotions and commitment and all that kind of stuff unless and until you're already willing to and engaging that battle with your family if you know that that's going to be a battle um, just have the have the end game in mind if there is someone a sister is interested in that she shares a community space with, what is the best practice for a sister to approach a brother and not make the space awkward for either of them, especially the pressure to say yes or no to the person? They should ideally involve someone else. Depending. Sometimes they should. First of all, this needs to be a community-wide understanding. That there will be people who have interest in one another. And in order for it that to remain appropriate they have to be able to acknowledge that while at the same time understanding amongst each other that if it doesn't work out we can still be in the same space and there's no hard feelings and so on and so forth and like if the person's not interested that's fine we move on like we have to have this kind of understanding otherwise there's no way to function as a people um so you know they, we have to have that base understanding from the beginning and then um, they can involve someone else, maybe like a friend, uh, a colleague, an imam, a fulan, a whatever it might be, but someone that they trust to engage with that other person. That's what Sayyidah Khadija did, anha, right? Sayyidah Khadija, she told her friend that she is interested in the Prophet them, and her friend went and talked to the Prophet and things escalated from there. But uh, they got someone else involved. Uh, So also a very good question. Uh, what are the uh, what are the appropriate boundaries that you recommend for enabling single men, Muslim men, and women to interact? I believe you were mentioning that our communities and college groups should promote this. So, what are the specific ways for that? Should it be speed dating events, hiking groups, sporting events, movie nights, groups of men and women going out on this on a date, quote unquote? However you define that, etc. So, uh, in the first, I think it was the first session, we talked about this idea of the four P's and and a lot of detail. You know, purpose, professionalism. Um, public and personal space uh, I will say that I am depending on who you talk to kind of liberal on this and depending on who you talk to very conservative on this I think I'm actually more on the conservative side but um, like recreational things I don't really think that's necessary to be fully honest uh, I think that we should be people of purpose and in being people of purpose, we can engage with each other. So there's plenty of things that need to be done in the world. We can build things, we can engage with things, we can share ideas, we can converse about uh, politics, society, culture, we can uh, help people that are in need, we can organize things, we can 
be involved in community affairs, so on and so forth. And in doing so, we should have opportunities to interact with each other. And if there's some sort of, you know, in general, outside of that, like maybe that doesn't exist. So we have to uh, do other things. If we have to do other things, alhamdulillah, you know, like if we need to organize a hike that's for singles that is... um, Chaperoned at some level that gives people a chance to engage with each other. Alhamdulillah, that's fine. Maybe speed dating. I don't know. I honestly don't really have um, a whole lot of great answers on this. Um, but, you know, there are ways that that can be done. And some of them were mentioned there. And I know that some of the masajid and stuff do organize those kind of things. And that's a, that's a good effort. Alhamdulillah, inshallah, may it be a, a, a means of, of khair. Uh, and, and I think that especially like. These are especially necessary if we have community spaces that don't allow the interaction of opposite genders in the first place, right? So like generally in a masjid, there's not really a whole lot of space for men and women to engage with each other. So you have to have some other alternative. In MSAs, for example, I don't think that alternative is really necessary because they're always praying together. They're always studying in the same areas. They're always attending the same meetings. They're always going to the same events. Like there's plenty of ways to interact without having to do extra stuff. Um, but it, you know, it's going to differ from place to place. Like at the Majlis, we haven't really had a whole lot of extra things because you know, it's kind of like there's plenty of opportunities for people to talk to each other as it is. Um, There's a poem that was shared. Um, I'm just going to copy it and paste it so that it can people can look at it if they like. Um, I was in the position years ago of counseling a young couple. The husband was. Mashallah, yeah. I was in the position years ago of counseling a young couple. The husband was very close to his mother, and for a while talked uh, to his mother for advice to the dismay of his wife. He finally realized that his wife should be his first confidant. Yeah, mashallah. Uh, in regards to approaching someone, what do you think about the someone approaching, uh, remaining anonymous just to know the other status? Uh, that's fine. You could anonymously seek to, like, but again, preferably through someone else. Like, you ask someone to talk to the person to see if they're even in a place where they're considering marriage. Um, however, just to note that, like, and I have had a case like this before where a brother wanted to consider a sister, and we did it anonymously, and she said she's not interested in marriage, and so on and so forth. Then he was like, you know what? He waited a little bit and he was like, you know what? That's not enough for me. Like, I want her to know that it's me actually that's interested in her. And like, maybe that'll change her mind. Maybe it won't, but I want to know. And it did actually change the sister's mind. <laughs> and she was like, you know what? Maybe I will consider them. And they ended up getting married in the end. May Allah bless them and their union. Um, purpose, professional, public, and personal space. Yeah, I would encourage going back to the first lecture. I think it's in the first lecture of this series on SoundCloud be able to find it inshallah um okay alhamdulillah looks like that's everyone great got through all the questions wonderful i have no clue what we are going to cover next week so alhamdulillah we finished now this topic and um 
we uh, yes um, I have no clue what we'll cover next week inshallah figure out something and yeah Lina she passed away inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun Allah have mercy on her Allah elevate her rank Allah accept her from the shuhada from the martyrs Allah give ease to her and her family and her loved ones and uh, everyone who was touched by her cause Allahumma ameen um, just another note uh, on on that note is that we're going into a time where it's very likely that people are going to pass and we won't be able to pray on them as a community at best there might be small groups of people that are able to pray on them there are a number of different opinions in the law as to praying janazah on someone when you are not there either at the janazah prayer, the funeral prayer, or at the grave, or whatever it might be. It's called Salatul Ghaib, the funeral prayer in absentia. And um, all I want to mention here is that there are different opinions on that act, but there are opinions, and especially in the circumstances that we are in, that allow a person to pray the funeral prayer upon someone whose funeral they missed it should be after like they've been washed and so on and so forth even maybe after they've been buried but definitely after the body's been washed um, that one can pray the funeral it's just to face the qibla have wudu say Allahu Akbar um, read Surah Al-Fatiha say Allahu Akbar read Salah Ibrahimiyyah Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Ali Muhammad and then say Allahu Akbar pray for the deceased and say Allahu Akbar and make salam to both sides uh, I'm uh, that that opinion's not really allowed in the madhab that I follow, but nonetheless, I did that recently for a brother that I know. His father had passed away, and it was his desire that I would make it out to the funeral. And then, as kind of like the days passed, they weren't allowed to do any more than just like a couple family members at the burial, and so I wasn't able to make it. And so, I prayed the I prayed the funeral prayer for him in my living room. Um, with the with that intention, and I think that this is something that, as um, people begin to pass, you know, may Allah protect all of us. This is something that is good to be aware of that you can do that if you'd like to do so, um, for maybe loved ones or friends or people that you hear about that have passed away and you weren't able to be there. Um, you can do that, inshallah. Um, and that's it. SubhanAllah. May Allah give us all beautiful and wonderful marital relationships and beautiful families and wonderful families. And may He help us all to be uh, people who model what it means truly for men and women to be supporters and guardians and protectors of one another. Allahumma ameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam wa alaikum wa rahmatullah. Good to see everyone. Take good care. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>